Welcome to the Exceptional Sales Letter Podcast with Darren Mitchell. If you're a sales letter looking to take your leadership to a whole new level, then this is the podcast for you. We'll be exploring tips, techniques, and strategies to help you take your leadership to the exceptional level and allow you to enjoy more money, more meaning, and better sales results. All right, welcome back to the Exceptional Sales Leader Podcast. This is Darren Mitchell and uh, another fabulous guest today coming all the way from, uh, well, time, it's almost like we, we're talking into the past because the time difference, all the way from uh, Denver, Colorado, Mr. Scott Smith. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Darren. I appreciate you having me on. It's uh, going to be a good time. We were just talking before we uh, press record that this is the end of a very long day for you. You said you were up at 4 a.m., uh, Denver time, and uh, it's now approaching 3 p.m. Denver time. So um, either uh, you've got a very, very busy schedule or you don't like sleep. It's a combination of both things. I have a very busy schedule, and I also um, minimize my sleep to get a lot of stuff done. <laughs> That's what happens with uh, high performers. They're always looking for ways to extract every bit of uh, time out of the time that's been allocated to us. So uh, looking forward to this conversation. I like, As I said before we press record, love talking to people from different industries and different backgrounds and certainly different countries. And it's an absolute privilege to be able to do this as a podcaster. Uh, Scott, you are the uh, business owner and uh, let's just say founder of You First Realty Infinity, which is a, a franchise organization. So you've been in, in sales for many, many years and now running a, a sales organization in real estate. Uh, love to delve into some of the, I guess, insights that you've got in your career and particularly some of the challenges you're facing with uh, dealing with a lot of agents now in a, in a pretty competitive industry and, and probably highly um, highly intense industry as well. But before we jump into that, love to get a little bit of a background on on the man that is Scott Smith. And uh, I loved, I'm really intrigued as to always what led people to the current career that they have. Was there like a catalyst? Was there a was there an epiphany? Was it just something that was an evolution for you that led you to do what you do today? You know, interestingly enough, I I ran a mortgage company back in the mid two thousands, and I loved real estate. Um, after the two thousand and nine crash, kind of reset my life, lost everything I owned, handed about four million dollars worth of real estate back to the bank, and got back into corporate America. And I don't have a college degree. I'm a veteran. So I was in a situation where to get a vice president's job at most corporate organizations, you, they want to see that degree. Yeah. And so I started, I got to a point in my career where I realized my, my ceiling was capped and I didn't want to always be working for somebody else. And a very good friend of mine said, you should get back into real estate. And I was in a kind of a window of time where I had an opportunity to do that. And so I did it and never looked back. Yeah. So kind of where, where opportunity met, uh, met good timing and there we were. Wow. You mentioned you're, um, you're a veteran. So you spent a few years in the army. What were some of the things that the army taught you that you're able to take forward into your, into your sales career? Um, and particularly now that you look upon what you do today, running a running a business, what are some of the principles that the Army taught you that you've been able to take forward? Yeah, so I was um, an infantryman and a paratrooper, so okay. and somebody who's afraid of heights. So, so jumping out of uh, helicopters and things like that. Yeah, a lot of helicopters, a lot of planes. <laughs> so 
The first thing it taught me is that there's a difference between fear and caution. Okay. Um, fear is fear is something that you should move through. Caution is something you should pay attention to. And the real difference is um, caution is your body telling you don't step into oncoming traffic. Yeah. That's a real problem. You can you can be injured from that. Fear is something in the back of your mind that is stopping you from doing something that is unknown and likely not dangerous. Yeah. Um, and so really starting to understand the difference between when you should move through something and when you should stop and pay attention, yeah. um, I think was was a lot of help from being in the infantry. And the other thing is, is that uh, it taught me that your mind can make you go much further than you think you can in, in the beginning, especially your body might want to quit. You have that little voice in the back of your head telling you, I can't go any further. And if you ignore those two things, it's shocking how far you can go in life. Yeah. It's interesting. You, As you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking of a show that's been in Australia for the last couple of years. And I don't know, you might you might have something similar in the US, but it's a show called SAS Australia, which is the, um, the elite, uh, I guess, army people that take celebrities and sports people through um, – uh, like a 14 day training program as if they were then going to be part of the oh, yeah, they have special forces. forces here. I literally special just forces. watched it. Yeah. I literally yeah. just watched it a few days ago. Yeah. And these guys live and breathe this every single day. And they always talk about the fact that our pain thresholds are a lot higher than perhaps we give ourselves credit for. And listening to people who go through that, where we set our own limits in terms of what we think is possible end up finding out when you're tested that you've got a lot more capability than perhaps you've ever given yourself credit for. So I love that distinction then between fear and, and caution. And it's uh, it's something to, to really take on. You know, there was an experiment and I'll get some of the numbers wrong. So, but they did it with some mice years ago. And basically they put mice in test tubes in long, tall, like beaker tubes in water. And they let them swim there. And in the first round, the mice, gave up after like 15 minutes, but right as they gave up, they reached down and saved them. And when they put those mice back in, just because they had the hope of being rescued, those same mice were able to go for like, I don't remember if it was 24 hours or some ridiculous amount of time, but it was a very long time that they were able to continue to tread water just based on the fact that they had been rescued before and yeah. the hope that they would be rescued again. So, yeah. um, our mind controls our body much more than our body controls our mind. So when you take that point, um, now I'm not saying people are mice, but I guess depending on the organization we work for, maybe there are some mice because when the cat is away, the mice will maybe come out to play. Um, right. What, what What, what can you take or what can we take away from that in terms of um, in sales in particular? Because hope, hope, hope is not a strategy, but hope is actually important for us to stay in the game and always look forward that, you know, something happening tomorrow is, is perhaps going to be better than what happened today. I've got to live in the hope that we can, we can move through things. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of say most of sales in one way, shape or form or another is prospecting and prospecting is a lot like treading water, right? You're just, you're moving muscles to keep yourself afloat. And so one of the things about prospecting is you don't know when that no becomes a yes. You don't know on, on any given phone call or in any given conversation when you're going to hear the right thing from somebody that allows you to give them feedback that moves them further towards the sales goal, right? 
And so where a lot of salespeople fail and struggle is they give up early. Either mm -hmm. they get into a conversation, they hear a couple of no's, they put in their own mind what they would, they, let me make sure I say this right. They project onto that prospect what they feel is the reason that that person is giving them no's. Yeah. And what they don't do is actually dig enough to uncover that person's real motivation for the no. Mm -hmm. And so if you take time and if you actively listen well enough as to what and find out why somebody's really telling you no, what you may find is it's not at all what you think it is. Yeah. And if you can uncover that black swan reason, a lot of times you can move that no to a yes. Or if you know, you're in a high phone call job where you've got to make a lot of prospecting phone calls. Sometimes you carry all of those no's, people hanging up on you, being rude to you, whatever. And now you get that person on the phone who could be a yes. But because you've carried all that baggage into that call, you don't give that prospect the opportunity to tell you yes, or you don't hear their buying signals that move them to the yes. So I really think the most important thing in sales is Treat every customer as though it was your first customer of the day. And by that, I mean, give them all of all of your energy and all of the opportunity to, to go in from no to yes. Mm. Because what you'll find is most people are willing to listen and willing to talk and willing to open up. You just have to break through those initial barriers because yeah. we've all been trained to tell salespeople no until they leave us alone. <laughs> and I think one of the reasons for that is most, and this is a generalization, most salespeople are taught not the right way to prospect. They, they make it all about themselves and make it all about their product. And they ask questions that for most, for the most part actually gives us a no, because it means yeah. it, it almost feels like we're pushing. It's all about us. It's all about our product. And what's the natural response to that? No, thanks. Even if I'm potentially in the window to, to look at an opportunity. So for people who um, are listening to this right now, who may be in a, in a sales role or a sales leader who is, not necessarily extracting as much potential out of their team that they believe they could. What are some things around around just that in terms of mindset and energy that you find has worked, particularly in a in a real estate industry? Because I want to delve into some of the things that you've had to deal with, um, particularly coming out of that that challenge you had around the GFC. What would you say to sales leaders right now in terms of getting their sales teams prepared mentally? for that next call is there any is there any key strategy or any key tactics that you've seen that are really effective yeah so i think from a sales leader's perspective one thing you have to remember is instead of trying to make you know depending on let's say you've got 10 people on your sales team instead of trying to get 10 people to get on your page you should be a different leader to each of those people and you need to learn what each of those salespeople needs from you in order to push them forward. I think dream boards are a great way to do that. Mm -hmm. um, understanding kind of what motivates everybody. If you ask most salespeople what motivates them, they will tell you money. Um, money is the easy answer, right? Yeah. Nobody is actually motivated by money. And when I say nobody, maybe there are some people that are actually motivated by having money in their bank account. Most people are motivated by the value that money brings them in some way, shape or form. So either it supports their family, allows them to, to take them on vacations, 
because they really enjoy traveling or it allows them to buy a nice car or it allows them the peace of mind to know they have savings in, in their bank account because maybe they grew up really poor and they love having that comfort and security of knowing they have money in the bank. Yeah. So what you have to do is delve into each person on your sales team's life and understand what drives them and then always speak to them about what drives them not what drives the company because nobody knows nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care and so you've got to build those relationships with your salespeople so that you're always talking to them about them and then if you're always putting what i call change in their pockets you're giving them compliments you're you know words of affirmation you're talking to them about their goals you're asking them about their family then when you need something from them there's enough change in their pockets. And I don't remember where I heard this. I didn't make it yeah. up. I heard it years ago somewhere. But it's easy to go in and ask somebody to give you a quarter when you've put $32 in their pocket. If you haven't put any money in their pockets and then you want them to stay late or hit a goal or, or do something out of the ordinary, that gets really old really fast and you won't have that buy-in from your sales teams. Yeah. It's really interesting as you're talking, I'm thinking of all the teams that I've been part of and all the organizations that I've worked with, how much of the, I guess, the rhetoric and the motivation is around, you know what, we're going to send you to, um, we're going to send you to Miami or we're going to send you to Mexico or we're going to give you this or give you that, all geared around what you can do for the company. But if I then look at it really clearly, most of the great sales leaders were the ones who were able to do what you described, figuring out what is it that makes each of those people um, motivated to do what they do? Because you're going to have to deal with challenges. And, and certainly in real estate, um, you're going to have a lots and lots of rejection in inverted commas. So what is it that's going to get you up and about each and every day, knowing that you're going to have to go through a process, you're going to have to go through a lot of no's. You can't do that based on, hey, you need to improve profitability for the organization or you need to hit your sales target. We've got to know that. And one of the key things that I always say to the sales leaders is you can't, you cannot be the motivator. You can't do that because that will only last so long. You've got to figure out what motivates your individual team so you can inspire them and keep reminding them as to why they do things because times will get tough. And when they do, you've got to be there to remind them, which is what you're talking about there in terms of the, the change in their pocket. Now, um, the other thing you said earlier as well is you described, and it's almost like I, it was to me, and I don't mean <laughs> this sound disrespectful. It almost sounded like oh, I just handed four million dollars of uh, property back to back to back to the banks. All right, so I don't <laughs> want people to 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 misunderstand that because in everybody's career, and certainly in a sales career, we go through peaks and troughs and we go through challenges. As you look back now, because you're back you're back in the real estate game. Um, things that are often going to happen to us that we least expect or we we have no control over. When you look at what happened around the GFC where you actually had to go through that process and then it ended up going back into corporate, what were some of the key lessons that you can now draw upon that has helped you, I guess, improve but also pay it forward to, to people that you're dealing with today that – it's almost, and I don't. This this might sound flippant, but you're now almost looking back and saying that was a blessing, versus at the time it probably wasn't a blessing because it was probably a hard time. What was what was the lesson out of out of that for you? Yeah, so um, I was truly humbled in life. So I I came from a situation where um, I had an unshaken confidence coming out of the army. I had had a lot of success in my sales career. 
And when I was running my mortgage company and um, we kind of thought we were at the bottom of a mountain and it turned yep. out we were at the edge of a cliff, right? And so it's funny how offhandedly I can tell you that I handed back $4 million worth of property. I lost everything I owned. Um, I literally ended up moving from a 3,000 square foot house into an 800 square foot rental property that my parents in my 30s, my parents had to co-sign for yep. um, because I no longer made enough money to, to get a property for rent on my own. Um, and so it humbled me in a real way. I'm, we are lucky here. There are some great bankruptcy laws um, in the United States. And so I was able to go through a chapter seven bankruptcy. One of the one of the parts of that is you have to go through a credit counseling session to make sure that you are somebody who is really in need of being able to write off all of this debt, right? And walk away from it. And when the credit counselor asked me, you know, how much are your monthly bills? And I told her they're $22,000 a month. And she said, and how much do you make now? And I said, oh, between my wife and I, we make $4,000 a month. And she started laughing just like you are. And she's like, oh my gosh, you're who chapter seven bankruptcy is made for. Yeah. And I was very stressed going through that process. When we walked out of bankruptcy court, um, I looked at my wife and I was like, oh my gosh, how could, how could it have been that easy? Like we sat in bankruptcy court, the judge listened, signed off on everything, and we were basically good to go. And now I had a whole new life to start again. Yeah. And so what it taught me was I don't overextend myself. Um, I never assume I know more than I do. Uh, one of the things is, is if you'd asked me back in those times, what was the market going to do? I would tell you exactly what I thought the market was going to do. Yeah. Whether I was right or not wouldn't have mattered. Um, today, you get a very different answer from me. I talk about not owning a crystal ball like the market. I, and I discuss everything the market could do because it's good for people to understand that it could go up. It could go down. You don't know. But you're also not going to guess it right 50 yeah. percent of the time. So don't wait, move now, because if it gets better, you can always change your situation. If it gets worse, you're in the best situation you could be in. Yeah. So it really just humbled me as a human being, taught me what the real value was in life, which is family. Um, and it allowed me to understand that uh, I'm right a lot less than I think I am. <laughs> right a lot less. <laughs> um it sounds like, and it's an obvious statement, it sounds though that you never lost, I guess, the the passion and the love of real estate, right? No. And I, one of the things about me, Darren, is, um, and, and I would say it's partially from my parents, partially from the army, like nobody gets my joy. I don't care what situation I'm in. I mean, I remember there was a time we were in Germany on a training and infantrymen walk everywhere. And we were basically in knee deep mud. And one of the guys, and most people in that situation walking down a road in knee deep mud would be miserable. And as infantrymen, we're making jokes. Like the guy in front of me is like, oh my gosh, pigs wouldn't walk in this crap. And we're all <laughs> laughing and having a good time. I mean, you learn that no matter how bad the situation is, if you can keep the joy inside of yourself. And I think people confuse happiness and joy. Happiness yeah. is like motivation. It's a small meal. You get it for a short period of time and maybe we're meant to have it. Maybe we're not, but joy yeah. is what you carry inside of you and it's what you radiate. 
And so you can be joyful in terrible situations and it will yeah. get you through those situations. So yeah. um, I never let anything steal my joy. I'm always going to be in a good mood because and it's it's different than a positive attitude. Again, a positive attitude sometimes can be fake. Joy inside of you is always real. So yeah. no matter the situation, you're going to find me in a good mood and looking for my own accountability because I feel like if I can find out what I could have done different in the situation, then I know how to improve it the next time. I'm not really a blame game guy. I'm, yeah. you know, I, I focus on what I could do different and what the solution is to any problem. Love it. And that's, that's an attitude, isn't it? So you choose it that. Is. You choose yes, that. It's absolutely a choice. Yeah. And, and if you look back, it probably would have been that element of joy to say, you know what, I'm grateful for the fact that um, I've got my health, I've got my family, um, I've been able to come through this. I've been able to realize that, you know what, I'm still standing, but I'm looking forward because now I've got a new a new beginning that's now starting. So that's what right. is it I'm now going to do? So you then went into corporate and what, what was it that, um, what was it about corporate that first of all attracted you? Um, I'm going to assume it, it was an attraction before anything else. It was a need. Honestly, okay. it was a need, right? Like <laughs> I needed to make money. I needed to pay my bills, right? Yeah, so okay. I, and um, the first job I got out of that was with a home warranty company. And it was just a place I could go for 10 hours a day and be away from all of the other things I had going on. So it just allowed me, it was almost an escape, right? Okay. Um, the job the job that really brought some of my like work joy back was when I went to work for agility recovery, a business continuity company. It was a completely new business. They sold um, basically a type of insurance where let's say your call center gets flooded. They would come in and set you up a temporary call center where you could continue to, to do your business. Okay. The leadership of that company was amazing. Um, the position I got to sell to, Fortune 500 companies, small businesses, banks, credit unions. So I had a lot of freedom and it really kind of got my, my joy back for selling yeah. that I had been away from for a while. And so I was there for I think about six or seven years. Um, and I, I loved that, that company. And then they got bought by a private equity firm, changed a lot of the, you know, I don't know if anybody's ever been through a I'm sure a lot of you guys have been through where a private equity firm comes in. And the first thing they tell you is we don't want to touch the culture. That's why we bought the business. And the first thing they do is change the culture. Right. And so um, I ended up leaving that company and going and finding a, a different position. Well, when, when VC companies come in, what they, what they tell you and what they do are completely different because at the end of the day, Very they're different. looking at this as a cash cow and they're looking at how they can flip this and actually get onto the next opportunity to do exactly the same thing. Well, and it's interesting. The So Agility was run by a family, the Boyds. Uh, and Bill Boyd, the dad, was one of the most amazing people you would ever meet in your life. And in one of the very first sales meetings he had, he said, look, our pay will always remain the same, but eventually someone's going to come in and buy this company. And the first thing they're going to do is change the pay. And fast forward seven years, when the VC company came in, because they paid us very well. Like the, yeah. the way they paid us was unique and amazing. And I wished it would have never changed. The first thing the VC company did when they took over was they pay, they changed the way the pay was structured. And I like I had a flashback all the way to that first sales meeting where Bill's telling us. And I'm like, this man could see into the future. I mean, he knew exactly <laughs> what was going to happen. So it's 
I like being around people who've been around business a long time just because they bring so much value because people think everything is new, but really nothing new ever happens. Yeah. It's it's just some, you know, it's just some different window dressing, but everything that's happening has happened before. Well, and it's it's so right because there are mentors everywhere. Now, whether you have a coach, an official coach, an official mentor, you've got to be really conscious of who you surround yourself with because you become almost like a an average of those. I think was it Dale Carnegie or somebody said you're One average of, those, of the five yeah. people or whatever. Um, you got to be really, really conscious of that. And I was talking to a group yesterday. I was running a, a leadership program yesterday. And I, and I said that you've, as an individual, we've got to stand guard at the entrance of our mind, which means you've got to be very careful as to who you let in to your to your psyche and to your mind. So you've got to be really, really strong, really strong. I, I recommend that. So I belong to a real estate mastermind called the Billionaire Boardroom run by a guy by the name of Javier Hinojosa. Phenomenal guy. You should probably have him on your podcast. He's amazing. Um, but I'm the dumbest person in that room. Yeah. And I love being the dumbest person in a room because I'm pretty smart. Like, and I know real estate really well, but I don't know it near as well as those folks. And so I learn something every time I go there and it's things I can actually bring back to my own life and begin to apply immediately that can bring, you know, revenue generators, all type of stuff. So I recommend that if you're in a, if, if you're in sales, you should have a group of smarter people that you regularly meet with so that you don't get stuck in the mud or the quicksand, whatever you want to call it. Because if you're constantly the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> you know what? I love, um, I 100% resonate with that. And I love every time I hear somebody talk about that because it says that it's, it's, it's so true. And yet, how many leaders out there do their utmost to try to become the smartest person in the, in the room? Yeah. Because it's all about them. Right. Yes. Or even when they're not think they are. That's it. I've, yeah. I've, I've worked for some sales leaders who you couldn't have convinced them they weren't the smartest person in the room and they were nowhere near the smartest person in the room. So <laughs> I think being a little bit humble, right. Understanding that um, understanding what your opportunities are. And if you understand your own area of opportunities, that's that right there alone can change your life is um, oh, absolutely. you know where to grow. And I think the other the other part of that is you recognize as a as a good leader as an what I call an exceptional leader is you know there's always another level to get to you never ever arrive so you might have you might have 2023 for example because we're coming to the back end of 2023 it may well have been your most successful quote quote unquote year ever right but an exceptional leader will say that's but a platform for how I can improve that next year I'm never going to rest on saying hey this is this is all I'm ever going to achieve. And use that as the as the glory days, because how many yeah. how many one hit wonders do you see out there in the entertainment industry that that keep referring back to the song they had in 1985? Well, you know, I don't know if you remember the TV show Married with Children, but Al Bundy always used to talk about, you know, he scored four touchdowns in the state championship game. Right. He's 50 years old talking about, you know, his high school glory days. Ted yeah, Bundy. It's, yeah, it's it's absolutely ridiculous that you would. Focus on something. If something happened yesterday, it no longer matters, right? Yeah. Like, um, you have to worry about, and a lot of people think that I can focus on yesterday and tomorrow. And when they focus on yesterday and tomorrow, they completely ignore today. And so they're never on the day they're supposed to be on. 
And so that's where you miss out on a lot of opportunities because they're either I'll get to it tomorrow or I did it yesterday. Yeah. And those are two things that can set you up for failure because you're in the moment in which you should be doing everything right now. Yeah. And if you're in the moment, going back to what you were talking about before in terms of you know, the prospecting calls and the, and being present with your with your customers or, or future customers, if you're not present, they they detect that. They detect that like people's BS meters are pretty good. They know whether you're actually with them or thinking about something else. So be be present with whatever you're doing. Well, that's why I think active listening is so important, which is also why I think scripting is very important in sales. A lot of people think that scripts are some segment of magic words. And if the magic words don't work, the script must be garbage, right? No, what the script does, it is, a, is once you commit the script to memory, it tells you what you're going to say next. Because if you're having to spend mental energy on thinking what I'm going to say next, what you're doing is ignoring what the client is saying in the moment yeah. because your brain isn't focused. So if you know all the way through what you're all the way through the call exactly what you're supposed to say, then you can devote all the mental energy to paying attention to the client because it is amazing what happens when you actively listen to somebody. Yeah. And again, I didn't make this phrase up. It was, you know, um, but you really, really have to pay attention because you will miss very small things. And it is really annoying to a customer if you have to, if you start asking questions that they've already answered, that's very annoying. But if at the end of a call, you can go back and be like, hey, I know you told me that, you know, your kid loves to play baseball and you're looking for a bigger yard and you're, you've got a, you know, your pit bull Sammy loves to be able to run outside. And I, I'm going to send you a text message right now of this house that has the yard that you want, that has the, the kitchen that your wife wants because she loves to cook. And yep. you've got the extra bedroom because Aunt Sally likes to come visit. All of a sudden, that client is not only dialed in because of the house, but now they like you as a human and people buy from people they like. Um, it doesn't mean they will also not buy from somebody that they like, but if they like you, it is one step closer. Yes, yes. And what you're describing there is, and I think Covey talked about this, Stephen Covey, focus on being interested in the person giving your attention and getting them to talk about themselves because through that process, you in many cases become interesting to that person. So if you can talk about that house, that dog, where the, where the dog can run around, the the wife can do the cooking and there's, there's aunt Sally that come in in she can, she can stay in the spare bedroom that says, mate, this person's been listening to me. They're interested in me. And that through that process, they're not making about themselves. I'm more inclined to lean in and listen to what that person might have to provide me in terms of a solution to a problem. So when I show a house, I usually let, if if I'm with a couple, right, I'll hang back. I actually don't like, I'll let them go upstairs. I'll stand at the bottom of the stairs. I let them walk around and I become kind of invisible a little bit. I'll say important things when they need to be said, but mainly I just stand back and listen. And I was showing a house to a couple one time and they went in the backyard. They didn't, I don't even think they knew I was in the backyard with them, but they were talking about um, how their kids had a, um, like they wanted a trampoline and an outdoor, like one of those outdoor swimming pools, above ground swimming pools and all this stuff. And so two houses later, we were standing in a backyard that had a garden that was all grown over, looked trashy. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you guys could just tear all that out. And the trampoline could go over there and the, uh, the above ground pool could go there and the kids would love it. And all of a sudden they looked at me and they're like, how did you know that we wanted a trampoline in an above ground pool? And I'm like, Oh, you know, just paying attention. But those people all of a sudden 
it changed their whole perspective on that backyard. Yeah. Um, and they ended up closing on that house, right? So it's really is about putting people first and you don't always have to be the guy in the room talking. If you are, you know, there's that old saying, God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? They listen <laughs> twice as much. And so I, I do think listening is probably the most important thing in sales. Very rarely are you going to say some special thing that is going to change a client's opinion. However, yeah. often they will say a special thing that will change their opinion. And if you're listening, you'll catch it. That's it. That's it. And then if you can repeat it back with context, yes. it's actually say, wow, this person gets me. They understand me. I'm more likely to give you attribution to having a solution for the problem that I have, That's which right. is which is phenomenal. And, and when you think about it, it's fundamental. It's common sense. But how many salespeople and how many people don't actively listen? What they do is they wait for somebody to finish talking so they can fill the space with what it is that they want to say. Well, and that because that's what many salespeople are taught what they say matters. Yeah. And that there's like, you're, you're convincing somebody. Sales isn't really about convincing. Sales is about like, it's like drawing somebody's reasoning out of them so that you can reframe it in a way. And like you talked about in context, that yeah. makes your product be a solution. There was um, years ago, my dad, who, I mean, best salesperson I know, I learned a lot about sales from my dad. He was a, he started out as an oil field hand, worked his way up, ended up selling actuators. I mean, just, I, I learned a lot about talking to people from my dad. And he, years ago, uh, Nextel used to have this, uh, a phone that had push to talk, like a walkie talkie. Oh yeah, yeah. And my dad was in a store and the guy was trying to sell him the push to talk. And he kept talking about that feature. And my dad was like, but you don't understand. I don't care about that feature. Like, how does it benefit me? Because that's not, and that's really the difference is people think that features sell and benefits sell. Yep. Benefit, how, how that client can utilize that feature in a way that improves their life, that matters to them. Mm. Just the, the piece or functionality does not matter to them. So you can't be talking about how cool this is you have to be talking about how how beneficial it is in their life. Exactly. And yet most, and I want to say most, another generalization, a vast majority of organizations will provide sales training to their sales teams and talk about how great their product is. And they'll get them to drink the Kool-Aid of the organization and then for create an environment where they go out and talk about all the features, thinking that that will sell to the customer. But I... Okay. Oh, sorry. I just have to give credit where credit is due. When I worked at MCI, we sold long distance phone service, which yeah. for young people, they're like, wow, that used to be a thing. Like literally <laughs> we sold air. But the thing about MCI was they had hands down the best sales training of any organization that I've ever worked for. They trained like 18 and 19 year old kids on very high level um, sales training techniques. And that's how they were able to, uh, you know, if the corporate leadership of that company hadn't robbed it blind would still be a great company today. But that organization spent millions of dollars on learning how to sell their product. And then they trained everybody on that methodology. And if you, if you look at all of the people that left that organization, they went to other organizations and became leaders and entrepreneurs because the sales training that MCI provided was hands down the best sales training of any company I've ever worked for. 
It's phenomenal. I also spent a lot of years in telecommunications in Australia for Optus and Telstra, who are the two main providers here. Um, same thing. Same phenomenal, phenomenal training. And it's it's when you were talking about long distance phone calls, I know exactly what you're talking about because yes. that's where I started as well. Okay. Long distance. Where are you at in Australia? Just curious. Whereabouts? In, where am yeah. I? Yeah. I'm in Melbourne, just north of Melbourne. So yeah. I um I lived in Sale from okay. eight, yeah, from probably like eighty to eighty-four. Okay. Um, yeah, my so yeah, that's I I went to St. Anne and Gippsland Grammar School in Sale for school way back in the day. Fantastic. Well, I'm I'm actually in a place called New Gisborne, which is near Mount Macedon, just north of Melbourne on the way to Bendigo. So half pretty much okay. halfway between Melbourne and Bendigo. So yeah. probably um north northwest from where Sal is. Probably about oh yeah, I'd say three hours, maybe four hours okay. drive. Yeah. 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 Very cool. And we're 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 having we're supposedly having summer here, Scott. So it's um when <laughs> <laughs> I say summer, it's uh I think today is gonna be nice and balmy about eighteen degrees, but a couple of days ago it was like twelve. <laughs> I mean, we're supposedly having winter in Denver and it hasn't like we have not had a uh, an enough snow to make it count as winter here. So I get you. crazy, crazy. So what I'd love to delve into now is, is using all this as a foundation. You then you then moved into um, buying a franchise and set up you first Realty Infinity. And you mentioned yeah. before you got 14, 14 agents. So as a as a business owner, um, and I guess as the as the sales leader of that organization with 14 agents, um, what are some of the things you uh, look for looked for in terms of great, great people, but also what are some of the challenges in running running a business, but also running running a team of of people who have their own, I guess, aspirations. Um, and how do you how do you get them all, for want of a better term, given they're coming up to Christmas, singing from the same hymn sheet? So some of the things you're talking about, I'm still I'm still learning, right? Because running a real estate company is not the same as running some other sales organizations because. Realtors are all independent agents. They're literally all entrepreneurs. They run their own businesses. So you are dealing with getting somebody who has their own mindset, their own goals. They're, the reason they became a realtor is they didn't necessarily want to be part of a group. And some mistakes I made as a new franchise owner is I brought on people who real estate was a part-time gig for them. They had another full-time job. They yeah. kind of wanted to get their feet wet in real estate. And so I'm having to, uh, what I've learned over the last probably six months is I have to make some changes in who I'm hiring. Okay. Um, so I'm much more aggressively looking for people who uh, are currently doing real estate as a full-time job um, and you know maybe aren't closing as much business as they want to close so that I can show them our methodology and how I can help grow their business because that's going to be the difference in changing my organization's success level um, as opposed to, you know, hiring people who do this as a part-time job, close a few deals a year, and maybe you're going to, you know, do full-time real estate, maybe not. So I'm yeah. still, I'm, the business has been open a little under two years, but I'm still learning a lot um, as to how to run a real estate organization. It's not the same thing as running a sales team of people who are paid a salary to show up every day. Yeah. If real estate agents don't close business, they don't get paid. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a little bit, it's it's a, not unique because there's lots of things like this, but for me, it's a little bit different than what I've done in the past. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm still learning. 
<laughs> so with with uh with 14 agents what have you um what have you learned from them and and are the 14 uh, have they been with you since you've been open the last couple of years or has it been a so i've got probably i've got a good core group of agents of five or six agents who have been with me a long time yeah. probably four of them that do um that this is their full-time job this is what okay. they're focused on every day yeah. And so then I've got some agents. I've got some agents that I never hear from. Like I could call them every day. They would never answer me. They just hang their license with me. Maybe they call me a couple of times a year, ask me to help them write an offer or something like that. So um, it's, like I said, it's it's a little bit more challenging than I thought it would be. Okay. Um, but I'm learning a lot. And next year is going to be a killer year because I'm going to be able to apply a bunch of the stuff that I've learned. And my goal next year is to hire like 35 people. So. So expanding from 14 to 35 or an additional 35? Uh, no, I'm, I'm looking to expand to about 50 next year. So I'm okay. going to get very aggressive with hiring next year. Nice. So that's 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 expansion. That's growth. That's hyper growth. Yeah. That's big. Absolutely. That's big. Yep. And so with that, thinking about that, because a lot of businesses will be in the same, same sort of position thinking, well, maybe not as massive as that, but we have to grow. We have to get better. We have to grow our revenue. We have to grow our profitability. What are some things that you've started to think about that are almost like your guiding principles that, because part of this is you don't want the growth to be, I guess, a catalyst for dysfunction, unprofessionalism, because you've got to maintain those standards because you would have actually established, a, an, a, I guess, a profile in the marketplace and you want to be known for somebody of excellence. Yeah. So one of the, the primary things for me is a change in culture. Yeah. Um, I've been a very hands-off broker owner, like letting people kind of do business on their own. And I've been, you know, I just closed my own business and just kind of um, running it that way. And so over the next year, I'm going to become much more involved in the daily activities of my agents. Yeah. Um, not micromanaging because I don't, I'm, I'll never be a micromanager, um, but running it, I kind of told you this is different than a traditional sales organization, yeah. but I'm going to begin to run it much more like a traditional sales organization. Um, instead of having a couple of meetings a week, we're going to have daily meetings yep. and, you know, start running, uh, I think, sales contests or something that are a great idea running, you know, setting goals and setting metrics and making sure people understand what expectations are. So really a shift in culture from hands off to much more hands on. Now, as a business owner, that's probably going to mean you'll be working a lot more on the business rather than in the business, which means you'll probably be, be enabling your team and rather than you having to, well, you'll probably still end up wanting to close your own deals, but uh, you won't necessarily, although you don't sleep, so maybe you just, you do, but. <laughs> the difference is I wake up early, but I also, um, I tend to go to bed early. So one of the things that I've, that I've been very good at over my life is, you know, nine or 10 o'clock at night, I'm in bed because I know okay. I get up early in the morning. And so, and, and I do find that, um, you know, between four and seven, I can get a lot done um, because those are the hours that my phone's not ringing mm -hmm. and that I can focus on um, tasks that need to be accomplished before the day starts. Because once the day starts, the phone doesn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And so I just want to draw draw back to some of these key metrics. And, and there's a lesson there for people listening to this, particularly as we plan for 2024, because growth of the scale that you're talking about doesn't just happen by accident. 
So are there any specific things and, and without divulging specific metrics, have no, you got, you exactly have you got key, yeah. key, key yeah. principles that you know that if you yeah, so put these in, we'll get success? One of the things I haven't done in the last year is prospected for new agents. Um, I kept trying to find, there are companies that say, oh, we'll, we'll call and, and get you appoint, you know, get you appointments for. And so I've been paying other people to do it because it was easier than doing it myself. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is that it's when, a, when somebody that's not related to the business calls a real estate agent, we get those calls all the time. I get my phone rings all the time of somebody trying to recruit me because they didn't do research and realize I own my own brokerage. Yeah. Um, and, but when a broker owner calls you specifically and says, Hey, I looked at your numbers, you're somebody that I'd be interested in talking to. That's a much different conversation than when just some random telemarketer calls you. Yeah. Um, so I've set very specific prospecting goals for myself, um, so that I'm going to make a certain number of calls every single day. And just like when I was a realtor, I made sure I prospected X amount of times a day. I met, I time blocked for that prospecting. I didn't sacrifice that prospecting for anything at all ever. And if for some reason I missed that prospecting, I always made up those calls because I knew X amount of calls set X amount of conversations, which is a number of appointments. And I needed so many number of appointments to close a deal. Um, I have to really start to do that same thing with prospecting agents so that I can understand how many calls do I have to make? How many conversations do I need? How many appointments do I need for a hire so that I can back into the math and make sure that I'm making enough calls every day to be able to hit that goal of getting three yeah. people into training every single month. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So the key message there is um, success doesn't happen by accident. Uh, every now and then you might catch lightning in a bottle, but it's, it's planned. And what should happen is this time next year, if we're speaking and you're talking about, well, I've got, I've got 49 agents, I've got 51 agents, I've got 50 agents. You'd be sitting there thinking, well, of course, this was, it was in the plan. We've just executed the plan. Well, I think no, one of the most important thing about sales is knowing your numbers, mm. right? And that's something that I've gotten away from in the last year because the last year moved so quickly for me with a lot going on. Um, and I think if you should know your numbers and you should know your key indicators and, yeah. and you and everybody's are going to be a little bit different. Like some people need 100 calls to get a closing. Some people need 50. But if you don't know how many you need and how many on average you're going to have to make, then how do you plan? And if you plan it out, once you understand those numbers, then you can back into your daily goals because your daily goals should match with your monthly goals, should match with your quarterly goals, should match with your annual goals so that you understand. And the other thing that people do is if they don't hit a goal in month one, they change the goal in month two. What you have to understand is the goal never changes. If you don't hit goal in month one, then you need to, you don't change the goal, you change the effort, right? You change the activity That's so it. that you can, so that you can make up the numbers and hit by, by quarter one. And so I think that's the other really important thing for salespeople to know is never change the goal, change the activity. Yeah, and be relentless in the pursuit of that excellence. Yes. And and think about because a lot of the times it's and and I people talk about sales being a numbers game all the time, and I and I agree with that because you have to go through a certain number of have a certain number of conversations, make contact with a certain number of people, have a certain number of conversion conversations, et cetera, et cetera. But there's also there's also a system that sits behind that, and it's it's also about quality. 
So what sort of service are you providing? What sort of going back to what you were talking about before where the salesman was trying to teach your dad to say, hey, you need this device. We just got pushed to talk. Who cares? Find out what actually um, floats the boat of your customer and then tailor your conversation around what that is because you're more likely to get cut through. It may not necessarily result in a sale in the short term, but what you will be doing is planting seeds where that credibility in that person's mind goes up for you. And when they're ready to purchase, they're going to be, you'll be the first person they actually think about. You really need to understand, and your scripting should be focused on your questioning strategy because whoever's asking the questions is in control of the call. Yeah. And so you want to relinquish call control as infrequently as possible. And so you should have a very good questioning strategy. You should also understand, does your product need open-ended or closed-ended questions to sell. If you're selling something that's a quick hitter product, a $99 sale, right? Then you should have very closed-end questions. You should be looking for yeses and nos. Um, if you're selling a high-end product that is very complicated, you should be asking very open-ended questions to get yeah. as much feedback as possible to learn what people, you know, they call them pain points, whatever you want to call them. Um, but it, you need to understand what the questioning strategy of your product needs to be so you can make sure you're always asking the best questions that are going to get you the, the right information and put the customer in the right mindset to buy. 100%, 100%. Um, hey, I love this conversation. We're, uh, we're just about out of time, but love to know from you in terms of uh, people listening to this that uh, are either new in sales, new in sales leadership, or have been around for a while. Some things to think about, some key, some key ideas, or some key advice that can give them uh, leading into twenty twenty four, and hoping that that will allow them to have an extraordinary twenty twenty four. What what sort of advice or guidance, if there was something that uh, to keep people top of mind, what would that be? Uh, yeah. So the first thing I would do is if you're in sales and you have not read How to Win Friends and Influence People, <laughs> that should be the next book that you read. Um, I would say you should have at least a book you're reading every quarter, if not every month. Uh, there's tons of great sales books out there. Google great sales books. There's a million of them. Uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Um, any uh, 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. I mean, there's just a million of them. But it all starts with how to win friends and influence people. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is I would say before the end of the year, do a goal setting session for 2024. And whether if your workday starts on Monday, you should spend at least an hour on Sunday planning out your week, making sure that you time block for prospecting, uh, that you time block for office activities, and so that your schedule is set so you always know what you're supposed to be doing. And keep if you if your job involves prospecting, you know, take the phone to your ear. Don't take it off. Like um, yeah. you should always be making fun. If you have nothing to do. You don't have nothing to do. You should be yeah. prospecting in some way, shape, or form. Absolutely, absolutely. So, and always keeping keeping your um, keeping you top of mind in front of people. Now, you're going to have a lot of people yeah. say no, uh, and that simply means that's where the numbers come into it, right? But that's you it. Can't, you can't make sales. You don't talk to people. That's <laughs> it. No. If, if somebody works that out, please call me seven two zero two five two seven zero three seven. If you work out how to make sales without talking to people. Make me your next phone call because that's training I'll pay for. Well, uh, there are people out there, Scott, <laughs> you might have seen them, that says, well, we've got this artificial intelligence uh, application that you don't have to do anything. You just let the bot do it all. You know, it's hilarious. I actually, uh, 
I have, I've had agents leave the brokerage because they said, Scott, I don't want to call leads anymore. I want to set up social media and this company is going to pay to set up my social media. And so my very next question is, is okay, good. So when you get this person on social media, like how do you reach out to them? Oh, well, I get their phone number. I'm like, oh, so a name and a phone number, right? Yep. So that's a lead. It just came from a different source. And so always remember, like, it doesn't matter what, where the name and phone number come from. It's always just a lead. That's it. That's it. And no matter what happens, uh, the old nose to nose, toe to toe conversation with another human being will never, ever leave us. Never. 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 So, Scott, hey, absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. I know it's been a very uh, long day for yourself. Uh, people listening to this, if they want to know a little bit more about the man who is Scott, Scott Smith, where do they find you? Where do they connect with you? Yeah, so easiest way is my phone number, and I gave it, but I'll give it again. It's 720-252-7037. Um, I always answer my phone, so just give me a call. Um and you can reach me at scott at youfirst.com. So Y-O-U, the numeric one, S like Sam, T like Tom.com. Yep. So not the word first, but like first place. Yep. Um, and you can always go to our website, youfirstinfinity.com. So uh, spelled the same way. And yeah, I'm always available. It's never a bother. If you've got sales questions, uh, sales ideas, whatever, I'd love to love to talk to you. Brilliant. Brilliant. Love it. So I'll put that in the, uh, in the show notes. And uh, once again, Thank you so much for sharing on the Exceptional Sales Letter podcast and uh, happy holidays and may 2024 be even better than what you're planning it to be. Thank you. Merry Christmas and you have a great day. Thanks, mate. Good on you. Thank you for listening to the Exceptional Sales Letter podcast. I trust the information in this episode has been helpful in your journey towards becoming exceptional. And remember, please take the time to rate the show, subscribe to the show so other people can find it. But also, if I can help you, jump on my calendar, go to leadwithdarren.com and let's have a conversation about how I can help you along your journey to being exceptional.